Look at somebody next to you and say, it's not about you. Now, that was terrible. All right, let's try it this way. Say, you look really nice today, but it's still not about you. Let's go to the book of Psalm 23. So I want to do a little bit of deconstruction with you. And it might be painful, but I promise you, okay, I'm here for your joy. But please understand, it's, I didn't say happiness. They're two different things. Happiness and joy are not the same thing. Many of us have experienced happiness, you know. You can be happy one minute, and the moment UK gets knocked out by, you know, y'all get where I'm going with this? Is that too soon? Okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You're no longer happy. <laughs> so that's, that's fresh, that's fresh right now. But happiness and joy are two different things. Happiness is an emotion and joy is not. Joy is knowledge. I can have joy in the middle of a trial. I can have joy in the middle of the worst battles. Why? Because I know who he is. I know that I was bought with a price. I know, I know, I know. There's a difference. Knowledge, knowledge produces joy. So look at me. I'm not interested in boosting or encouraging or helping your happiness. I'm not going to do that today because it's cheap and it will not sustain you for the journey that God has for your life. Please understand that. Happiness comes and goes on a whim, I promise you. It just does. What I am after today is your joy. And sometimes getting to joy stings. Sometimes it's painful. And if some of this stings, please know that I, I come for your joy today. So with that in mind, uh, I want to get to work this morning. And we need to get to the bottom of what's going on here. And it may seem easier for some of you, maybe easier than others, because we're, we're going to the 23rd Psalm. And I, I promise you, some of you probably have a coffee mug at home with, you know, this passage on it, or you know it by heart. If You know, there's a few scriptures that everybody just knows. You know, we have John 3, 16, and we have the 23rd Psalm, we have the Lord's Prayer, things like that. And this is one of those, but we're going to kind of deconstruct that just a little bit and get a little bit deeper into it. So for starters, let's talk about really the habitual nature of going to church. How many have been going to church for a long time? Been going to church forever. For a long time, I didn't even like it, but I still had to go because my dad made me go. Y'all been there. Come on now. Some of y'all drag your kids to church. I used to think it was bad. Now I'm glad they did it. Thank the Lord for godly parents. But sometimes we'll come into church and we have these little routines that we do. We'll come in. We'll shake some hands. We'll sing a few songs. We'll take up an offering. The preacher will preach. Then we'll maybe have an altar call. You know, Then we'll go home and eat chicken. That's, that's kind of the way it goes. Week after week after week after week. You know, we sing, we, we hear the preaching, but I, I want you to understand something. Sometimes that, that does become a habit, and, and we, we start missing the substance, and we just kind of go through it without really grasping a hold of what God wants. Even in our biblical studies on our own, sometimes, and I'm guilty of this, I would read just to read. You know, I checked it off the list. You know, I, I read my Bible today, I prayed today, I paid my tithe this week, check, 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 check. I'm good, God. Nothing, nothing bad is going to happen now. Everything's okay. And what, what that becomes is that becomes my own idolatry. What that comes is I begin to look at myself and think, okay, I did everything right according to Wesley. 
Everything is good in my book. I've done all the right things. I've lined myself up in the right way. And God's like, uh, no, you didn't. So we have to get underneath all of that so we can see what, what is actually going on. And I encourage you to do this in your scripture. I'm glad to know that, and I, I know this for a fact, that your pastor preaches the truth. But when you, even on your own, when you're, when you're reading the scriptures, begin to get under, underneath it all. Don't just take the, the surface, but, but get into the substance, okay? You know, sometimes we come into the church looking for an experience. And that's what we call them nowadays. It's, that's the popular term. We have a worship experience. Okay, that's great. But what we tend to be doing is the reason why people go from this church to this church to this church is because they're chasing an experience. That's what we do. It ain't hyped up enough over here, so I'm going to go over here. And I like that song. I like this style of music. I like that type of preacher. So I'm going to go over here. Well, well, when he doesn't do what you like, we'll go to the next one. Chasing an experience. I grew up Pentecostal circles too. I know how all this stuff works. We do the same things in there too. Boy, that was a move of God last week. They shouted the roof down. It was boring this week. Y'all know what I'm saying. We can't, We even compare them like that. We compare experiences. But see, the issue is we're not getting under the substance of what's really going on. And I love a move of God. I love when I love the presence of God. But if we're not adding some substance on that, I'll explain it like this. You know, I can light a match, okay, and I hold a match in my hand. Eventually, that match is going to burn out, correct? I can hold it all day. Eventually, it's going to burn, probably get to my finger and hurt me a little bit. But the moment I throw it on some firewood, put some little kindling in there, you know, start stoking it a little bit, you get what I'm saying? So what causes the fire? I may have a match. I may get the light, but eventually, you got to start putting fuel on that fire. We chase these experiences. We're going to this church and to this service, and we had a great revival, but that, that's a match, okay? It's a match. But until you put some substance on it, meaning get in your word, get on your knees, start doing what the Bible tells you to do, then you're going to stay looking for a match. You're going to try to find heat with that little match. I'm telling you, you're not going to find it until you add the substance. So let's find out what's going on in the word of God here. This is a very common text, but we're going we're gonna to dig a little bit. What is God about? Anybody ever ask that question? What is, what is God about? What is, what is his motive? What, what's his motivation? It's not about what's going on here or what's going on with me, but it's what is God about? So, because if you can't get there, you're going to be at a superficial plane that cannot sustain you. I promise you that. Especially when it becomes your turn. You know what I mean, your turn? What I mean is this. If you live long enough, Guess what? You'll bleed. If you live long enough, you'll experience loss. If you live long enough, your strength will fail you. You're going to experience some pain. I'm not that old. I'm almost 40, but my analogy of myself this morning, I'm what you would consider a narcissistic egomaniac. Don't believe me. I have not met a mirror that I didn't like. Now that as I am, I'm approaching 40, I'm noticing that even in my prayer, I'm like, God, let me keep my hair longer. <laughs> I know, but I'm like, Lord, can I just make it to 40? You know, it, it's funny, but I'm thinking to myself, that's so stupid. I like me. Even though I'm a young man, and I, I, I recognize what the book of Ecclesiastes says in chapter 12, it says there will be a day that, you know, there will be days when you wake up and you wish that you hadn't. There's going to be days that are tough. There's going to be days that are hard. There's days that I get up and I'm like, Lord have mercy, not again. 
Now, when I look around here, I don't see that. What I see here is, oh, that, that'll never happen to me. Bless God, I am perfect in the eyes of the Savior. Well, let's, let's find out. What we have to do is get underneath it all and see what God is doing. So what I mean by that is not that he's holding all things together by the words of his mouth, although that's in the word of God, okay? It's not that he's saving people, although he is. There is something underneath even all of that that if we'll grab onto, I promise you, he will set you free from you. It's about to get real in here, so. He will set you free from yourself, and that's the best news in the universe. And if we're setting out to find the answer of what God is doing, what is God about, what is the mission of God ultimately, it's been my experience that if you gather non-believers, okay, just non-Christians, they kind of have this Zeus-like image of God that, you know, if you're going to mess up, he's going to zap you with some lightning bolts. Or you'll have a group that had this Santa Claus Im uh, image of God that, you know, he's making the list and checking it twice and he's going to find out if you're naughty or nice, you know. And then, But if you talk to a lot of evangelicals, their misconception is just as bad. See, in their eyes, in ours, many of us, in our eyes, God is all about us, me. He's elevating me, taking me to a new level. Oh, man, I've said that so many times, and I want to just barf. He's about me, and the whole thing exists because of me, and God was lonely in the beginning, so what did he do? He created me for fellowship because who wouldn't want to create a bunch of incompetent, non-loving, adulterous, idolatrous, disobedient children to call their own? I just got real here. No one's going to say that. Uh, say it that way, but, you know, that's what we're saying. So what's God doing? He looks at all of his people and as a, he's in awe of his people. No, that's, that's not it. Listen, there are some who can play this game with the Bible, and I can show you. I can take you to a dozen scriptures that says God loves you, and he does. He does. We love, I, man, there's nothing greater than the love of God. I can take you to where God can bless you. Do you know that? I can take you in places of Scripture where God has this passion about you, but my case is that if you look at those texts closely, there's an underlying motive in his love for you. Please get this. I want to give you, uh, yeah, I want to give you yes and amen. Yes, Jesus loves you. Yes, he is for you. Yes, he will provide for you. But ultimately, God's motivation in all of that isn't so you and him can be boys. Let's go to Psalms 23. Verse 1, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. Man, that sounds for me, doesn't it? That sounds good. Mm-mm, man, he's, y'all know, the, how many sheep herders do we have here? Shepherd, man, a shepherd takes care of the sheep, makes, you know, take, when it's sick, feeds the sheep, protects the sheep. That sounds, that sounds really good, right? The Lord is my shepherd. That sounds great. The Lord is for me. It's in the text. If y'all don't understand what I'm doing, I'm giving you a, a lesson on how to read the Bible. It's not just tell somebody to read it. Sometimes you need to show people. It's not about just what's on the surface, so we got to dig a little bit. I shall not want. Now, that's a, that's a great gift. I mean, that, that line is just beautiful. It's meant for me, make me feel good about myself. Mm. I'll have anything that I want, including that new truck that I needed. So let's keep going. He makes me. Now, there's a difference. If you look at King James, it says he makes me. Mine says he lets me. Uh, I like both of them, honestly. He makes me lie down. 
I like that. Sometimes he has to make us. He can either allow you to lie down, so you can either lie down or he's going to make you lie down. You know what I'm saying? He leads me beside still waters. That sounds beautiful. In other words, he's bringing us into peace. Like when there's no arguing and fighting or even in my own spirit. I like to be calm and, you know, he leads me. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Now, that sounds like he is really into me. Now, I'm giving you a little bit of a, a, a lesson here on how to read the Bible because I can take that whole passage, and if I stop there, man, God is about me. He is really into who I am. But let's go on. Let's look at why. Somebody say why. How many of y'all have kids in here? This is the most common question ever in my house and to the point where now if I just I run out of explanations or reasons I just say because I said so and I know that's lazy parenting but I can't think of anything else to do so let's look at why what what is his motivation with all this shepherding and reviving and restoring and leading me in paths of righteousness for what reason somebody say it for what for his name's sake so the motive in all of this isn't that you're great it's that he's great so the, the motivation is his glory, his namesake, his renown. And this is what you're going to see over and over and over in Scripture. And I'll, I'm going to go ahead and dive into this for just a moment because this God-for-God God concept is hard to take, especially in our Western culture where it's all about us. And see, we, we live in a society where we're extremely blessed, number one, but we're also spoiled a little bit too. You see, we have absolutely zero clue what true persecution really is. You know, just because somebody makes fun of you because you're a Christian doesn't, that's not persecution. I hate to tell you this. You know, you can get over that. You know, true persecution is when, you know, when somebody has a gun at your child's head. That's, that's different. Can you stand up for God then? We were talking, my cousin and I, he's in the military, and we were talking this week, and he was telling me a story that when he was overseas in Iraq, and this is just recently, and they had to prepare these soldiers. They had preachers. They would literally put them in cages, and they would dunk them in water. And they had to watch this. They had to dunk them in water, and right before they died, they'd pull them back up and ask them again, will you denounce Christ? And if they didn't, they just kept going until they drowned. They had to watch this. And I began to think about this. We have no clue. But yet they have joy in that situation. How? How can they have joy? So check this out. Let me show you a little bit of what I mean by all of this. In Isaiah 43, it says, God created us for his glory. Isaiah 49, God called Israel for his glory. Psalm 106, God rescued Israel from Egypt for his glory. In Romans 9, God raised up Pharaoh to glorify his name. Ezekiel 20, God spared Israel in the wilderness for the glory of his name. 1 Samuel 12, God did not ease away his people for the glory of his name. In John 7, 18, Jesus sought the glory of his Father and all that he did. Matthew 5, 16, 1 Peter 2, 12, he tells us to do good works for the glory of his name. John 14, Jesus said that he answers prayers so that God may be glorified. Romans 3.25, God gave his son to vindicate the glory of his righteousness. Do you understand that one? Let me, let me try to unpack it just a little bit. I said this this morning because it kind of stuck in my head a little bit when I was studying. Does anyone, anybody ever have a problem with the fact that God just forgave David without Jesus? Think about that. Jesus hadn't died yet. There was a whole process in order to be forgiven that had to take place. Y'all know what I'm talking about. 
Man, if David wanted to be forgiven, what did he have to do? Jesus hadn't come yet, but God forgave him. Was he not an adulterer? Was he not a, not a murderer? Does, doesn't it make God unjust? Think, I, I'm just trying to think in Wes's terms logically here. I'm trying to wrap my brain around this. That's what the Bible says, and how does this work out? Isn't God just? Doesn't, doesn't a price have to be paid? You know, he, he, he's not just saying, David, nah, don't worry about it. You're all right. No, no, no. God is ferociously holy. So how is it possible for him to be a man after God's own heart? How is it possible? Because Jesus Christ, we just read it in Romans chapter 3, Jesus Christ is going to vindicate even all of our brothers and sisters in the Old Testament. Even all of that is for the glory of his name. In John 16, 14, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to glorify the Son of God. Y'all see, see a pattern here. Romans chapter 11, everything that happens will redound to the glory of God. Everything, including the Democrats in the White House, including Joseph Stalin and Adolf Hitler, those were still laid out by God. You ask how? How? And that's a hard one for people. Even, even the New Jerusalem replaces the sun with the presence of God. It's about him. Flip over with me real quick to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. See, what you see in the Bible all the way from Genesis to Revelation is God is for the glory of his name and he is reconciling and reclaiming all things to himself. So understand this. The Bible is not about you. Not at all. There are two ways to look at it. The Bible is, a, is the road map to life. And I understand that. I do. And that's great. That is in some ways accurate. But ultimately, it's not the road map to life. And if you read it that way, you'll read the Bible wrong. I'm, I'm getting really deep here. See, what happens is you'll keep infusing yourself into the story like you're the hero. This happens all the time. I, I've done it a million times. And I want to be straight with you, okay? Please understand this, and don't take this any other, other way than just face value. You are not David, okay? I am not David. Your trouble in life is not Goliath. And if that's true, then you are in a lot of trouble because you would miss. I'm going to show you how this works. I know it's getting deep. We'll fling our stones and we'll miss. So if you view the superheroes in the Bible as... You put yourself in there, then you've put a weight on your shoulders that you can't even bear. You see, in, in, in theology, we call these, we, there's three names. We have exegesis. Everybody know what that is? I know pastor does. Exegesis is when you go down through the scriptures line by line, verse by verse, and you take it as it is. And then you got eisegesis, where you insert yourself. And then narcissegesis is where you literally Isolate yourself into the story. Like, I am the hero. I am Daniel. I am this. I am that. That's how this works. And so, so many times, and I, I am guilty of this. See, understand this. Jesus is the greater David. It's the whole point of the book of Hebrews. So that means that if you want to do this, it means Jesus is the greater David. Goliath is sin and death. What does that make me and you? We are the Israelites cowering in the corners, what we are. When you read the Bible into this context, that this is about Jesus. Before the cross points to Christ, after the cross points back to Christ. That's how it works. If you read it into that context, even the begats make sense to you. 
Even some of the stuff in, uh, in Numbers and Deuteronomy and Leviticus. Anybody try to sit through Leviticus? That'll even start making sense to you if you read it through that lens. So let's make sure we're playing the right part in the story. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. This is some, these are some scary words in here. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. This doesn't mean every material blessing. It says spiritual blessing. Everything that you own is the, is the stuff of future gar uh, garage sales and garbage dumps. Everything. Just is. You see, God the Father has blessed us with everything through Jesus Christ. He is the blessing. He has to be enough. My favorite story in Scripture is the three Hebrew children when they're standing before Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar is about to throw them into the fire for not bowing to the idol. And I love their response because they had all the faith in the world. They did. They knew that without a shadow of a doubt that their Savior could rescue them out of that fire. But their response was, even if he doesn't, we're going to worship him anyway. How many of us pray that way? God, I need help. God, my, my child's sick. My body's sick. I'm broke. I don't know what to do. God, I need help. But even if you don't, that's a, that's a different prayer. That's a different prayer. There's a few things I learned not to pray for. I never pray for patience. Because guess what? He's going to give me an opportunity to be patient. Is Jesus enough? And that's what he's saying here in Ephesians. He is the blessing. He's already the blessing. He's already done it. Verse 4, let's read on a little bit. For he chose us in him before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, in love. Verse 5, he predestined us. Don't get messed up on that word. It just means he foreknew you. Us to be adopted through Jesus Christ for himself according to his favor and will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he favored us within the beloved. It's still about him. The spectacular thing to me is that God uses people that aren't qualified. And I count as one of them. Again, I am a narcissistic egomaniac that's into himself. Even when I pray, it's idolatry sometimes because it's about me. If I'm not careful. You see what the Bible says, it's a, not, not according to mine, but it's according to his will, right? When we pray, it's according to his will. We take that scripture, asking you shall receive. We like to take that one out of context. That's one of them things. We love that scripture. But we don't, we don't keep going with that. It's according to his will, not mine. God can bless. God can do some amazing things. I'm living proof of it. But it's still according to his will. I am unqualified just like you. I, I am definitely unqualified. Just ask my wife. She could point out flaw after flaw after flaw. You ask my kids. Yes, I am full of flaws. But I am living proof that God can use anyone. Now, he's made me bleed along the way. He doesn't want me getting all into myself. First Peter, it talks about suffering. Did you know we're supposed to suffer? I don't like that word. I don't want to suffer. But it, we count it joy to suffer for him. For Christ. See, we're kind of spoiled in our culture. We are. 
You go anywhere else, even up prior to the 1900s, even here, it was it was rough. But anywhere from from about 1900 to now has been this tiny little window in the Western culture in the United States and Western Europe that we're the only ones that have experienced what we experience now: that freedom, the the peace, the everywhere else throughout history has been nothing but violence, death, persecution everywhere. I can take you all over the globe even now it exists. We kind of joy. I, I, I am blessed to be where I am and so are you. We need to understand that. It's not about us. And I have, I have been guilty so many times of this. And, and sometimes I do it inadvertently. It's not like I'm intentionally avo- avoiding God. But sometimes I, I realize that when everything's falling apart in my life, that's when I cry out the most. Anybody ever do that or is that just me? When everything's falling apart, when I'm broke, my kids are sick, I can't get out of bed, I, I don't have this, I don't have that, that's when I'm calling on God the most. Now, I'm not intentionally avoiding God when everything's good in my life, but sometimes I just don't turn to him as much. Would it be all right to say that sometimes he likes to keep me there? He keeps me there. As much as I don't like the pain, as much as I don't like the bleeding part, he keeps me there because I have to completely depend on him. I know this is tough. This is painful. I get it. He says, I'm going to give you tears. I'm going to give you enemies because I love you so much. Sometimes you just got to praise him for your haters. And I love the story when they lowered the man down through the roof to be healed. And Jesus was in the house. A little side note of this story. Some some people believe, we get the description in Mark. Some people believe that was actually Peter's gospel because he was just telling Mark what to write. And the reason why is because there's a lot of emphasis placed on the roof in Mark. And it's believed to be Peter's actual house. So he was fixated upon the hole that they just ripped out of the roof. I'm, I'm a contractor, so I understand that. You know what I mean? Well, anyways, when they lower him down and, and Jesus, uh, what, did he, what did he say first? He didn't heal him first, right? He says, your sins are forgiven. And then it was the murmuring that Jesus heard from the crowd. Can he heal? Can he do this? Can he do this? It was actually the haters that got him healed. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's actually those around him that actually got him healed. That wasn't even Jesus' number one priority. He said, your sins are forgiven first. So understand that. He said, so he saved you and he saved me for the praise of his glorious name. And I'm trying to hurry. And I want to tell you why it's, that is good news. How many knows what the gospel is? We like that term, the gospel, right? The gospel is what? Good news. And so when the Bible says to spread the gospel, we are to take the gospel to, to, to all around the globe. What does that mean? Do we understand truly what the gospel is? Yes, Jesus died on the cross. Jesus loves you very much. But first, you need to recognize that I am a sinner. First. Because that's where it starts. Before I can receive salvation, I recognize I am a sinner. In fact, we've gotten so desensitized in our churches, we start calling them unchurched rather than sinners so we don't hurt their feelings. I love what you said a minute ago. You're talking about witnessing. I'm going to piggyback on that just for a second because the issue is we don't even know how to do that anymore. We don't. We don't. We don't have a clue. To share, to, uh, to, to share the gospel, make disciples. The Bible says in, in the Great Commission, go, 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 go. It's not a great suggestion. It's a command. 
Disciple doesn't mean discipleship class on Wednesday night. When I make a disciple, I'm making a lifetime commitment to you. We are going to walk together in the presence of God. That's discipleship. When I share the gospel, I share the gospel of what Christ did for me because I was a wretched sinner and I, I am now made clean. So I want to tell you why it's good news. Uh, why the good news is God is for God rather than for you. Please understand. And I know, I know the love that God has for us, but it's all for his glorious name. And I want to give you two points of good news. Why God is for God. And I'm hurrying. Since God is for God and he is ultimately about the praise of his glorious grace, God is not after my begrudging submission. But he's after my joy. He is ferociously about my joy because the more I enjoy him, the more his grace is being exalted. So God's not after, I better do what he said or he'll send me to hell. That's not what he's wanting. Heaven isn't a place for people who want to avoid hell. I'm here to tell you that right now. If you're trying to get to heaven so you can avoid hell or have some kind of fire insurance, I'm sorry, you're going to get bored when you go to heaven. Because that's all we're going to be doing is praising God. That brings me to my next point. That's why he gives me the law. Somebody say the law. You see, David delighted in the law of the Lord. He sang about it. We don't, sometimes we don't like the law. We like grace. We like preaching grace. Grace is beautiful, and it is. But Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to what? Fulfill it. See, David delighted in the law of the, uh, of the Lord, and I'll tell you why. Since God is for God, and he's not after my begrudging submission, all the commands of God are meant to lead you and I into greater life and greater joy and to line us up with how he designed things to work rather than ours, which don't work. I'll give you a few examples. Marriage. There's a reason why he ordained marriage the way that he did sex, money, even rest he ordained all of it God is telling us this is how I designed it to work and John 10.10 10 says greater life is found in your obedience is anyone a greater enemy to you than you are? no I'm the problem I'm the issue See, what we see is that God's law leads us into life. I know what's, and I know some of y'all may be thinking, well, you, you have no idea what I'm going through. Y'all ain't married to crazy. You, you ain't seen my boss. You, you don't know, hey, it's rough over here. Let me, let me encourage you this way, really? Let's take it over to Christ in the church and who's the, who's the problem there. So if we look at the relationship between Christ and the church and his bride, who's the issue? It ain't him. It's him. It's us. So the reason we run to the laws of God with joy is because it's leading us to better life. Now you're not going to keep that law perfectly, which brings us to our biggest implication of God being for God. If God is about God, then I am not the center of the universe. Almost all of the conflict in my life is built upon and predicated upon the world is about me. Almost all of it. The reason why I'm so angry in traffic is because the world is about me. Hello? Is that, is that just me? The reason why my marriage is in a, in a struggle is because I've built these expectations up in my mind and when they're not met accordingly, I'm frustrated and aggravated. 
That's what we do. The church the same way. If the church isn't ran exactly the way we think it should be ran, or if they're not singing the right songs, the preacher ain't preaching the right things, or the, that we think, then, ah, man, ha, ah, it's about me. The more the world is about you, the more angry and tired you'll be, and the more it's not, the more free you are. Everything must be centered on Christ. Everything. If ministry is about Him, I'm free. Pastor, admit to you right now, when we start making it about ourselves, we start putting our ego into the mix and say, well, I didn't have as many people as last week, or, man, that didn't sound quite right, or this didn't look a certain way. Sometimes our ego starts creeping in there a little bit, and it starts being a, a more of a performance about ourselves. We're guilty of that. Talking about witness, you know, we've gotten to the point now, we'll go out, hey, you want to come to church? We don't invite them to Jesus. We'll say, hey, you come to church, let the pastor do it. That's what we do. Good news for you. Sheep give birth to sheep, not to shepherd. See, I don't need to be exalted. Please understand this. Even in ministry, you do not need to hear from my heart. You need to hear from God's word. Honestly. I heard a preacher say that and it stuck him. I bet I've said it a million times. And I'm going to keep saying it because I'm guilty of it. You need to hear from the word of God. You know, I get uncomfortable sometimes when somebody says, man, you had a great word. And that's great. I love when somebody pats me on the back after preaching and says, man, that's good. You know, or they'll say something like, man, that really changed my life. And the more I, I begin to serve God, the more I begin to kind of cringe at that a little bit. And I get a little bit uncomfortable because I didn't do anything. I studied some stuff and then yelled at you. That's about all I did. Everybody knows the story of Paul, and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna briefly run over this. Everybody knows the story of Paul and all the stuff that he went through, all of it. I mean, shipwrecked multiple times. The guy was even stoned and left for dead every time. I mean, he was chained to guards, and you know they had to keep changing him out because they kept getting saved over and over and over again. He says, even to live is Christ, to die is gain. Even if you kill me, hey, bring it on, let's go. Yes. Let's do it. Nothing fazed him. How is that possible? Because that righteousness was given to him by Christ Jesus. If I could take this whole message and boil it down to its purest form, here it is. Here it is. I want you to get this. Despite me, in spite of my continued failures and foolish heart, God, because of the imputed righteousness for me in Jesus Christ and his wrath, absorbing death on the cross and resurrection, now sees me as perfect, and spotless, and not because I am, but because He is. Y'all understanding me? Yes, God loves you, but it's ultimately about the praise of His glorious grace. I want to speak really to a couple different groups, and, I, and I'm closing. Many of you here, you've been in church a long time, and I, I consider that a blessing. I really do. But if we're being straight and honest right now, sometimes we just exhaust it. You know, if you serve in the church long enough, you'll definitely find that one. You'll get tired. Especially if you're volunteering. You know, you, see, the, the issue is this. You can't keep trying to earn righteousness that you'll never learn. You'll never earn it. The law was given because you can't. And in order, uh, and in your can't, you're going to see God as Savior. Did you know that? In our inability, we'll see God's ability. 
We can go down all the Ten Commandments, I, I, all that you want to. We can find all of that stuff. You know, and some people, well, I don't like the law. It's too restrictive. It has too many commands. And I, I heard somebody say this one time. I was like, which law are you talking about? Which one do you not like? Which one is too hard for you? Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Oh, let's keep going. I mean, which, which one's really bothering you? Let's be honest. See, we are infinitely guilty, but Christ has made the way, which is why you need to hear this. God is not in love with some future version of you. Did you know that? You can't, you can't earn your way to it. And that's beautiful because I don't have to. I don't have to. The cross has made provision for you right now. History is filled with flawed people who were used mightily. I, I, I firmly believe that's why God chose those men, chose those women throughout Scripture. Because they were flawed. They were not the, the cream of the crop. They're not, they were not at the top of the Indeed resume list. Uh, he chose the ones who didn't qualify. Why? For His glory. For His continuous glory. And I know I'm deep today. I get it. And there's a lot to, lot to digest here. But there's no sin in your life, past, present, or future, that has more power than the cross of Christ. None. And maybe you're a sinner and thought you've gone too far, but the price was already paid for you. Church, it's not about us. And thank God it's not. Because there's nothing that I could do that could ever compare to God. I can't earn it. I can't work hard enough. You know, I hear in some circles now, well, if you don't get your miracle, it's, you just don't have enough faith. Hogwash. No, God has a plan. It just ain't my plan. That's all it is. I used to get so frustrated. I'll pray for, literally in the same week, I'll pray for somebody, they get healed, and somebody else, they don't make it. In the same week, I'm like, nothing changed in my opinion and on me. No, God has the plan. It's Him. It's his design. And he gives it freely. He loves us freely. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God.